As I begin today, I want to ask you a quick question. This could actually elicit a response, so you feel free to respond. But if I were to tell you that there is a principle or practice that has proven both scientifically in real life and in exercises and studies to make you a healthier person, to make you someone with, with more empathy, a, a stronger connection with your neighbors, um, to decrease depression, to increase happiness, and to potentially give you a longer life, and not only all of those things, but this principle or practice is talked about literally hundreds of times in scripture, but I rarely talk to you about it, how would you feel? Cheated, empty, would you be upset with me? Yes, you would. Okay, so remember, the rest of the sermon, this is on you. You told me to do it. But sincerely, um, Amy Campbell and Laura Truax write at the beginning of their book, Love Let Go, all of us have a superpower capable of improving almost every aspect of our lives. This power is so potent that it virtually guarantees a better life. When we use this power, studies show we have increased energy, empathy, and happiness. Not only this, but the power is regenerative. The more we use it, the more we have. These results are as conclusive as the link between exercise and health, as indisputable as the relationship of sleep to mental alertness. It's amazing. Equally amazing is that most of us simply don't believe it. So, those of you who know me know, I love to get a deal. I absolutely love to get a deal. I scour Craigslist. I scour Facebook Marketplace. I use coupons at Meijer. I look at the bottom of my family fair receipt to see what my lifetime savings have been. I go to Aldi because rice and avocados are a little bit less expensive there. I love to get a deal. I went to the same store three times this week for the same item, looking at it, an item which would have cost me, because it's buying a new one, I could have sold my old one, it would have totally, the total cost would have been $30 each and every time I walked out empty-handed. It wasn't quite a good enough deal. These are the last two pairs of jeans I purchased. You know what, the picture doesn't do it justice. Okay, so first of all, these are moto jeans. No one over the age of 40 should be wearing moto jeans. It's 2022, no one should be wearing moto jeans. But I bought these about a year ago because they were a deal. <laughs> Secondly, these. No one should be wearing these. This is really just awful but they were $4. And they were new, they were new, they were, four, they were a deal. This has gotten me into so much trouble that Tracy will not go to any stores with me. She will not shop with me anymore. She has gone so far as to ask me, Dave, is there something that happened in your childhood that makes you like this? And so I thought about it. I'm like, is there something in my childhood that made me, made me like this? And in fact, there is. 
You see, when I was very young, I got a job early cleaning my dad's office, and so I got paid, and so I started a savings account, and so I started to accrue a little bit of money, right? Probably more than most of my friends had, but I was under the, you know, the, the tutelage of my parents, and so I never really spent it until I got to college. And then I realized, oh, I have this little bit of money and I can spend it. And so I chose to spend it buying things that I thought would bring more people my way, more friends my way. If I brought the, bought the right clothes or I bought the right shoes, people would accept me more. If I bought a TV and a stereo system, people would come and hang out in my dorm. If I, I wanted to buy a video camera because I wanted to make little movies and it would, it would bring more people my way. Now that doesn't sound all that bad. I'm, I'm sure many of us can probably relate at some point or another. The problem came, of course, when I got to college, and not only could I spend that money, but I was offered a credit card. And so on top of that, I spent even more money than I had, and, and which would have been okay. I was making payments, no big, no big deal, until I had the opportunity to go out of the country for a few months on a mission trip, at which time, where was my credit card bill going? Yeah, I was going to my house. So who was going to see that credit card? The people who instilled in me values of work and save and work and save and work and save. And so while I bought things that eventually did not, of course, bring me friends, nor did they bring me happiness, I now was shackled to this reality that I was going to have to go to my parents and say, Mom and Dad, while I'm going and serving in this mission trip, you're going to get something in the mail, and you're not going to be very proud of me. And so now on top of all of that, not only did I not really have that many good relationships, I had all kinds of stuff that was just wearing out. And on top of that, I had the shame of being dependent on someone else. I thought I was independent. I thought I was free. And yet I had to go and tell them that. I had to get bailed out, as they say. And so I made a pledge. I'd say I made a pledge that I'll never do that again, but Tracy knows that I have. So we'll just say that's happened twice in my life, but it has made me who I am today. And so there was this day then when I found the scripture passage. And immediately as I found it, I memorized it and I said, this will be the defining scripture passage of my life. It comes from Proverbs 30, verses seven through nine. These are the words, two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. If you find a scripture passage that begins with two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die, you might want to memorize it too. Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Buying more stuff will get you more friends. And give me neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And so this passage, two things I ask of you, O Lord, keep falsehood and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily bread. I committed myself to that because it offered me the two things that I was missing out on, the two things that I thought were, were causing me to struggle in life. Number one, keep me from the lies and the deceit of wealth, O Lord, that they can somehow buy happiness because I know it's not true. And number two, give me neither poverty nor riches, but only my daily bread, because God, I don't want to be dependent on anybody anymore. Does that kind of make sense? 
And I said, these are the two things that I'm gonna strive for. And so they've made me into this manic, crazy, psychotic person who doesn't rely on anybody anymore and, and, and seems attuned to the fact that I'm not buying into that thing that wealth can buy happiness anymore. But you know what? Still wasn't really that happy. I'd lived by these two things, at least I thought I did, and I still wasn't really all that happy. In fact, sometimes I would be a little depressed, my health wasn't probably all that great, and all kinds of other things, until I discovered that I think I was buying into one more lie. Because in the midst of all this, I was doing all the things that I was supposed to do. I, I mean, I was, I was working, and I was getting wealth, and I was giving it. I was, I was tithing to the church because I'm supposed to, 10%, because that's what the Bible commands. But you want to know what? I bet if I was really honest with myself, and I blame Tracy for asking me this question. I'm just kidding. But I said, you know what? I'll bet even that 10% is so that I can be independent so that I know that I've given God what I owe God and I can get God off my back and get my parents off my back and get everyone and I can just live, just let me live a daily life. And I still wasn't very happy. You see, the other lie that I think I had bought into, I had leaned so heavily into the second half of this verse, just give me my daily bread, Lord, just let me live this life where I'm safe, where I'm comfortable, I don't have too much where I start getting tempted, I don't have too little where I start dishonoring your name, but rather just give me a little bit, let me live my comfortable little happy life, even though I'm not happy. But I think in all of this, I, I, I had messed this up and I had bought into yet another lie that is more deep and troubling than even these other two that he was supposed to keep me from. And that is the, the lie of something called scarcity. And just bear with me for a minute. These two things that are tied together keep, deceit, keep falsehood and lies far from me and give me neither poverty nor riches but only my daily bread. These lies, deceitfulness, and wealth are tied together in another place in the Bible. I bet most of you have heard of it before. It's called the parable of the sower. Have you heard the parable of the sower before? Sure, right? It begins this way. There's a farmer who went out to sow his seed. And as this farmer goes out to sow his seed, he scatters it all over the place. Some of it falls among the paths. Some of it falls on the rocks. Some of it falls among the thorns. And yet still some of it falls on fertile ground. Now, if you lived in an agrarian society, agricultural, right? Not many of us do. We may not see this, but I'm sure you've heard it before, that this is kind of... Uh, a crazy way for a farmer to act. You plow your field, you till your field, you plant little seeds exactly where they're supposed to go. It would not be a very responsible farmer who would just go and scatter his seed everywhere. And yet this is the picture that Jesus gives us of God the Father. That God is one who goes about in this world scattering seed, which is the word of God or which is the, the truth about who God is, scattering this just abundantly all over the place, seemingly indiscriminately. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And as some of that seed goes, some of it falls on the path and the birds pick it up and some of it falls on the rocks and then yet others fall amongst the thorns. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but who the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. 
You see, and I think I had taken that word of God and, and I had said, this is the way I want to live, Lord. Teach me this and teach me this. And yet, why was I still not happy? Why was I still not fulfilled? Why maybe even are some of you out there, maybe a couple, finding that it's like, you know what? I believe in all of this. I understand all of this in my head. And yet, for some reason, I feel constantly choked out by the things of this world. And I believe it's because of that final lie of the a scarcity mindset, that there's not enough to go around. The word hit, or the word, the news hits us with this all day, every day, that there's just not enough. We're running out of diesel oil, we're running out of food, we're running out of this, we're running out of that. But the Bible teaches us something significantly different, that our God is a God of abundance. You see that whole passage, two things I ask of you, do, you know, do not refuse me before I keep falsehood and lies far from me, give me neither poverty nor riches. None of that is about this. It is about my trust and my connection to God and keeping things that would block that connection from being there. Because God, as a God of abundance, and we, as those who bear his image, when we operate from a worldview of scarcity, we are cut off from the power and the abundance and the full life that is offered to us from the God who loves us. Now, I, I want to show you a couple of other places in Scripture, a couple of other passages that kind of talk about God's response to scarcity. Here's the first one. The first one comes in 1 Kings 17, verses 7 and following. Now, let me just set the stage for this a moment. Elijah is a prophet of God, and because the people of God have a leader who is less than faithful, God has told Elijah to say, it's not going to rain on this land for quite some time, which means there is a famine in the land. Now, interestingly, Interestingly, at this point, God sends Elijah out into the wilderness by a brook and sends ravens to feed him. Now, what I see there is like, that's good stuff right there. That's give me my daily bread. Don't make me dependent on anybody else. Let me just live this way. I'll sit out here. I'll eat the food. I'll eat the bread that the ravens bring me. I'll drink the water from the brook. I can live in my own little place until God, you fix everything. But then one day the brook dried up. And so God sends Elijah to someone else. Now just hear this story. Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water and a jar so that I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a loaf of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jar. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. 
So this is a world of absolute and utter scarcity. Does that kind of make sense? Could you get that? The brook has dried up, and now what she's doing is she's gathering a few sticks to go and build a fire so that she can mix this little tiny bit of olive oil that she has left and this little tiny bit of flour so that she and her son may eat their last meal and die. Now notice the response of God's prophet. Elijah said to her, are you ready? Do not be afraid. Someone said that that happened 365 times in the Bible, once for each and every day of the year. I don't really think that's true, but that's okay. It's good. It's a good line. It does happen quite often. Do not be afraid. But there's not enough, Lord. There won't be enough. If I do this, what's going to happen to me and my... Do not be afraid. And then he says, go home and do as you have said, but first... Make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. For real, dude? This is a widow and her son about to make their last meal so that they can eat it and die. And you're like, okay, yeah, go home and make that fire, but make me something first. Are you kidding me? But that's where the faith comes from. That's where an understanding of a God who always provides, that's where an understanding of a God of abundance comes from. Um, and then, and then you can make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken to Elijah. And so there's a principle here as we start examining this idea. What is this superpower capable of improving almost every aspect of our lives? This power so potent that it virtually guarantees a better life, something that all of us believe or all of us know about, but we simply don't believe. And it's the practice of generosity. It is the practice of giving things away. We all know that money can't buy happiness, but actually there are these two uh, Harvard professors, one named Michael Norton and one named Elizabeth Dunn, who said money actually can buy happiness so uh, as long as you spend it on someone else. Money actually can buy happiness as, uh, as long as you spend it on someone else. Now, do you believe this? Sure you do, but do you? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that's the reality of it, right? We can look at study after study after study that people are happier. People live longer lives. They're less depressed. They, they have more energy. All of these things by giving as opposed to taking. And yet, how many of us actually believe it? I know. How many of you, if I had started and said, I'm going to preach a sermon about money, you would have been like, see ya. But, but that's the thing, right? Like, that's the amazing thing. It's incredible. It's reproducible. It's expandable. It's, it's all of these different things. And yet the question is, will we believe it? It's interesting. I've read all these books and these studies and stuff like that, and all of them said, yep, we found exactly what we, we, we needed to know. And then they went to their accountants, and they realized they weren't giving any of their money away, right? It's this thing that we know 
but we can't really tap into. Another quick story, if I could. Elijah has his, his little counterpart, Elisha, who is a disciple of his. It's interesting in the Bible. Everything you, So when Elijah is about to go away and, and well, kind of die, uh, Elisha says, I want a double portion of your spirit. And so then you can just kind of follow Elisha. And he does everything Elijah does, just kind of twice as good. And so there's this next passage, 2 Kings 4, that says this. The wife of a man from the company of prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as slaves. So again, scarcity, destitute, you know, there's nothing that I can do. Can you somehow help me, Elisha? Elisha told her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have? What do you have in your house? The servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Now, Elisha, again, has an abundance mindset. What do you have and what can God do with that? Elisha said, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few, right? Don't just ask for a couple. Don't just ask for just enough. Ask for more than enough. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to the side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her. How'd they do that if they already shut the door? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. And she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. He replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Do you see how this abundance mindset in some ways is like the opposite of a scarcity mindset? The opposite of like, I don't want to spend this because what if something happens? I won't have enough. And also, I want to live on my own. Give me daily bread because I don't want to rely on anybody else. And yet somehow in this power of God's abundance, in this way of living with God, we need to sort of revert, to, revert from both of those things and to come to understand that the God that we serve, the God who loves us, is a God of abundance, Right? And at the same time, somehow this, this power of God, this miraculous thing only comes as we associate and ingratiate ourselves with other people. Now, Jesus is also called, some think that he's Elijah or Elisha. And the incredible thing is that you see Jesus telling people the same thing about this God. His first miracle in the Gospel of John is what? He goes to a wedding and what happens? They're out, right? They're out. Where are we going to find any more wine? And his mother says, do what he tells you. And Jesus is like, what are you bringing me into this for? But that's okay. Go and fill all these jars with water until there is more than enough. There's another place where Jesus is teaching, and he's been teaching so long, and there's so many people out there uh, on the plane that either he, depending on which one reading, either he or somebody else says, Jesus, you got to send these people away. The disciples say, you got to send them away to nearby towns so that they can find food, right? You've heard of this story before? And what does he say? He says, you give them something to eat. And they're like, where could we find all this food? And he's like, well, what do you got? Well, we've got a few loaves and a couple of fish and stuff like that. Well, that's more than the widow of Zarephath. That's more than the widow that came to Elijah. Do you not remember these Bible stories, disciples? Do you, have you not understood this quite yet? That our God is a God of abundance and that God longs to pour his blessing out on his people. 
And not only that, but by science's proof, it's the way to find happiness and fulfillment, health, and even longer life. It's through sharing and it's through giving, it's through generosity that taps us into the very nature of a God of abundance. And after all of them had filled their bellies, they went out and they collected what? More. They collected 12 basketfuls, more and more and more. And so I want to I wrap this up with just a couple things. Mm, okay, we're not going to do that. I'm going to wrap it up with a, a couple prime, like, like how do we do this? How do we engage in this? And I just want to, I, I will, I'll share one little thing. Just so you all know, there's some studies that have been done, and, and this is really cool because there's a way to, of working these two things together. The elder generation oftentimes might look at the younger generation and say, see, we've, we do the tithe and we give and we're faithful and boom, boom, boom. You want to know what? You are. Awesome. According to Barnes studies, you are faithful givers. You give to church. You give to those things. Awesome. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But spontaneous giving, the text to give, the GoFundMe, the compassion, the justice issues, younger generations are five times more likely to give to those than the older generation. So we're both actually shortchanging ourselves. There's this passage that Jesus says in Matthew 23. We're almost done. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He's, this is kind of like one in a long laundry list of things that Jesus is saying to them. He says, you give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. He's like, you're tithing like you're supposed to, but you neglect the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Notice how he closes this. You should have done, you should have practiced the latter, the justice, the compassion, the spontaneous giving without neglecting the former. And so if you're a younger person, Tracy and I both, we had families who did this, right? You get a dollar, you give 10 cents. You know, you get $10, you give a dollar. Awesome, faithful, plan that. But then also, also be aware of the things outside. So let's just talk about this, right? Here are some ways to do it. Number one, it begins with awareness. First and foremost, the awareness that our God is a God of abundance. Our God, not only, I mean, it's not just money, it's time, it's resources, all those things, but God is such a generous giver that we know this, that we worship this, that he gave his only son. God is not withholding anything in his desire to welcome us in to this divine nature with him. God is so generous, he gives even his son. And so it begins with an awareness. Just sit down and, st and maybe ask yourself, are, is, there, is there a reason you're like this, Dave? Do you believe in a God of scarcity or do you believe in a God of abundance? All right? That's just, just an awareness of that. An awareness of well, and then second one, an inventory. An awareness of who God is, an awareness of your circumstance, but also an awareness of yourself. What are the resources that God has given you? Some of it is financial, right? That, that's a start, absolutely. But what about other things? Have you been trained in a particular way that then you could share that with someone else? Do you have a particular passion that maybe you could pass along to the next generation? Book after book after book, by the way, says younger people want older people to mentor them. Book after book after book, each and every one of you are equipped just to be a friend of someone who is younger. This is a chaotic world, amen? And they're like, who's been through this before? 
You all have. And they're like, hey, can we sit down and have coffee with you? Talk about moto jeans, stuff like that. Tell you maybe don't wear jeans with pleats in them. You know, they can give you some advice. You can give them some advice. But take an inventory of what are the things that God has given you. And as these authors did, maybe take an inventory of what am I actually giving, right? And this is okay. Here's the way that, that Amy Campbell talks about it. Take how much you gave to charities last year, how much you're in, divided by your income, multiply it by 100, that's your percentage. And then she says, this is the most important step of the whole thing. Do not judge that number. It's not an idea, it's not a, a get this number and you get God off your back. No, 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 do not judge that number. But she says, challenge yourself, plan a way that you can tick it up 1% next year. And then maybe 1% the year after that. And then last, but certainly not this, least, is plan. Every article, every podcast I listen to, every article I read, every podcast I listen to said, the only way this actually works to bring about this, 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 this healthy sense of who you are, to, to bring about this, this energy that you have, to bring about a, a stronger sense of empathy, to decrease the level of depression. Each and every one said, you have to plan for this. You have to do it intentionally. The spontaneity thing's great, do that, but you have to plan. And in doing so, this is what it says. It says you'll find that you have a superpower capable of improving almost every aspect of your life. This power is so potent that it virtually guarantees a better life. And the beautiful thing is that it's not just for you, it's for everybody else. And so there was a time when I was like, oh man, we've got a bunch of stuff going out in this, in this gathering place. And I was like, mm, are we cutting people, you know, are we cutting people short? Are we offering too many things? And I'm like, no. You don't have to give to each and every one, but look at the opportunities we have. You have the opportunities to use a small amount of your resources to bless a child both with gifts and with the gift of the gospel in a far off country without even traveling there. You have an opportunity to offer gifts for Christmas to a foster family who might not ever have something like that. You have the opportunity to provide food for a Thanksgiving family that some people might not have that. You can provide showers and food for a, a thing in Pullman. You can go and you can bless the lives of children and others in Africa. All of this, we just, we just put this out there because it's available to you because we want you to tap into that reality that our God is a God of abundance. You don't have to give to all of them, but invest in something. Because in doing so, you will find, not only are you being obedient to God, but you'll find yourself happier, more free, and more joyful than you ever have been before. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask on my own behalf and perhaps on behalf of my sisters and brothers here, I ask forgiveness, Lord, for, for buying into that lie of scarcity. And, and Lord, I, I'm, we're not naive to the reality that some have more than others and some are destitute, but the reality is you send us to them and you send them to us to demonstrate that you are a God of abundance. Those you have provided with much are able to help those who, who have less and those who have less find out just who you are as your people supply their needs generously and abundantly. God, forgive us for being fearful to talk about money. Forgive us for utilizing this as some sort of embattled thing. We certainly could serve it instead of serving you, but, but rather you invite us to make money our servant, to do your work here in this world. 
Lord, it's not just money. We recognize it's an inventory of our time. It's an inventory of our talent. It's an inventory of our resources and our resourcefulness. It's an inventory of our relationships. God, you have provided for each and every one of us abundantly in some way, shape, or form. God, help us to pour it out generously in the spirit of you giving us your son, Jesus Christ. You held nothing back. And so God, may we enter into your joy by sharing the gifts that you have given to us with a world in such desperate need of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.